Thanks for joining us for this message from Awakened Church. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's Word together. But today we're going to talk about shame. And I have no shortage of stories to speak on on this subject, I promise you. Um, God is good. His grace is good. He covers our shame. But I wanted to share one that would illustrate God's goodness and His grace. And so um, when I was about 10 years old, I used to collect G.I. Joes. Who else, who else played with G.I. Joes as a kid? Yes, yes. All right, here's the real question. Who still collects G.I. Joes? I've graduated. I, I now have a Mandalorian figure above my desk. Thank you. You can pick them up at five and below. They're pretty neat. Um, <laughs> I used to collect these G.I. Joes, and, and they, if you collected the proofs of purchases and with just a little bit of cash, I think it was like a couple of dollars, you put them in the mail, you send them off, and they'd send you like these special weapons, and it was something I did. And uh, I was about 10, maybe 9, 10 years old. This was maybe the third letter I've ever, I'd ever written in my life. And so I put the package together. I was really excited. And I put it in the mailbox. And I was so excited, I sat at the window and watched as the mailman pulled up. I was waiting. I wanted to make sure that it got to its destination. And the mailman pulls up, and I notice that he walks over to my grandfather and, and hands back the mail, the, the package to my grandfather. And I was a little confused, so I ran outside. My grandfather was outside talking to a friend of his. And my grandfather explained to me uh, that I had, I had made a mistake. I had put the, I'd switched the addresses. Anybody ever done that before? Yeah, switched the addresses. And I don't know what it was. And by the way, my grandparents raised me. I was, I was so blessed by them raising me. Um, but I don't know what it was, but maybe call it a 10-year-old, call it, testosterone or just being a stinker. Um, my, grandmother, my grandmother would say I was being rude, crude, and generally obnoxious. Uh, but I, I, I responded in such anger, and I'm not just saying just, just raise my voice. I, I, it was wrathful. I was angry at the fact that I had to go back and redo this letter and wait another day and whatever that was. I was very disrespectful to the man who, who raised me, who was so kind to me. And then I grabbed my letter and I ran back inside and I sat on my bed and sat in my anger, trying to justify my actions right then. And I couldn't do it. I knew. I knew I was wrong. Holy Spirit convicted me. Um, I was saved at a young age. Um, but the Holy Spirit convicted me and I went back and forth trying to justify and then couldn't do it, and just, I was, I was crippled by the shame that I felt. And at this point, I'm crying, I'm sobbing on my bed. I knew I had made a big mistake, and I didn't know what to do with it. I knew I deserved punishment from my grandfather. I knew I deserved the belt. Um, I knew I needed to apologize, but I didn't want to do it. So I sat there, crippled, literally crippled by my shame. It was almost as if I, I was getting up and then sitting back down, getting up and sitting back down. And so I just waited. I knew my grandfather would come in there eventually, and he did. He came, and he, he knocked on the door jam. The door was open, and here it is. I'm, I'm ready to get it. All right, give it to, I deserve it. Give me that punishment, he says. 
Son, are you okay? That's all he said. I said, yes, sir. He said, okay, we'll talk later. And that was it. That was it. I just wanted to illustrate that, that moment. I want you to remember that moment of shame. You, you probably can relate. I think most of us in here can relate to some moment in our lives where we felt such shame, we didn't know where to go. We were just crippled by that shame. And our story today really relates to that. We're going to be talking about David. And if you don't know who David is, um, one, of the, uh, one of the most uh, greatest shadows of Jesus in the Bible, he was the second king of Israel. Uh, he wrote most of the Psalms. And uh, we're in Second Samuel, Samuel chapter 9, and I'm just going to read verses 1 through 8 today. Uh, David was, uh, was a king, the king of Israel, and he was a man after God's own heart. We all know that. I think we've all heard that before. And he was the, he was the king after Saul. And so I need to give you a little context here. So as David rose to power, he demonstrated the anointing that God laid on his life. He was successful everywhere he went. Everywhere he went. In fact, in, in 1 Samuel 8, 6, it says, The Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. And so after this, and he wasn't quite done yet. There were still pockets of enemies around Israel that he needed to take care of. But he went to work at this point to set up his administration, setting people in places to administrate the country, to, to be successful. And after that, what we're, this is where we're at in our passage now he, he remembers a promise he made to a friend, a promise he made to Jonathan, who happened to be the son of Saul, who happened to be the first king. Now Saul, if you know the history, was not a big fan of David. Uh, he, he, not, he tried to kill him not once but twice. Uh, but Jonathan actually warned David. Jonathan and David were really close. Uh, the, the Bible is very clear that their friendship was something to be sought after. Uh, they, they were very close, uh, very intimate as friends. And so Jonathan, if you think about it, being Saul's son should have been the next in line to be king, right? But he chose friendship over kingship. And so Jonathan and David were, were good friends. In fact, Jonathan warned David at one point, and David was on the run from Saul. And, excuse me. And so David at this point, he, he's, he's going to keep his promise with Jonathan. Uh, and, and that's where we find ourselves in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verses 1 through 8. It'll be on the, the screens for you if you don't have your Bibles. But I'm just going to go ahead and read all eight verses. And then we're going to break it down a little bit. And God's going to speak to us. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul? that I may show him kindness for, the, for Jonathan's sake. Now there was a servant of the house of Saul, whose name was Ziba. And they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul, that I may show, show the kindness of God to him? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is, a, he is crippled, in his feet. Verse 4. The king said to him, Where is he? Remember that. That's going to be important. And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Maker, the son of Amiel at Lodibar. Man, those are some hard words. And look, I've got to say it again, too. 
Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Maker, the son of Amiel, at Lodibar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Will you join me in prayer? Father, I thank you for your word that you have for us today, Lord. I thank you for your presence. I ask that you would uh, allow us to hear clearly your voice. Allow me to get out of the way. Speak through me, Lord. I will be a fool for you. I love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. God, is so good. So I see three things in our passage today. I see three things that, that, that relate to shame or speak to shame, and I want to share that with you. See, as David sought to, to honor the promise he made to his friend Jonathan by ensuring the house of Saul would live on, and that was his promise. That's why I forgot I skipped it. The, the, he promised that, it, the, that Jonathan's house would never die that there would always be somebody to represent the house of Saul or Jonathan. He made this promise to Jonathan, which was the house of Saul, which is kind of neat um, because Saul absolutely just disliked David because of his anointing. But So David sought to honor this promise. This promise was that he would never allow, he, w- he, would, he would ensure that the house of Saul would not die off. And you can find that in 1 Samuel twenty fifteen. Thank you for having grace with me this morning. We're going to get through this, all right? By seeking out Mephibosheth, the cripple, he would cover his shame. Notice it said his, his feet were crippled. Ziba pointed this out, that his, his feet were lame. And this was at, of no fault of, of Mephibosheth. Uh, he, uh, actually, he, the, the nurse dropped him as, as she, was, she was fleeing after she heard of the news of Jonathan and Saul's death. They both had died. And so Mephibosheth was being carried by the nurse, and he was dropped. And he, for, for the rest of his life, he was crippled. So it was, it was no fault of his own. But David, David set Mephibosheth at his table. And by sitting Mephibosheth at his table, think about it. When you sit down, can you see anybody's feet? Your feet are covered, right? Now, we can't really understand this shameful position Mephibosheth is in because it's no longer shameful to be crippled in our society, nor should it be. But in those times, a lame person was considered uh, sinful, actually, and ostracized. They were, they were not allowed into community. And I know that's strange for us to hear, but this was part of their culture. They, what the, the, the justification was is they had done something wrong, and therefore they deserved the punishment that they got. And so they were ostracized from society, ostracized from the community. So here David is seating Mephibosheth at his table, and you can't see his, his brokenness. He covers the shame by sitting him at his table. Isn't that good? And although our culture today would frown upon this, would frown upon the fact that ostracizing somebody because of something they can't help, um, it is common. And I believe you'll understand when I say this. It's common for one to self-isolate because of shame. 
When we don't know what to do with our shame, we tend to isolate ourselves. Um, when I was sitting on that bed, I was not going to talk to anybody. Uh, I, was, I was crippled by my shame at that moment. The enemy would like nothing better for me to sit there in that shame. Thank God for my grandfather coming in and knowing, listening to the Holy Spirit, knowing that the best thing right there at that moment was to show me grace. Jesus does it so much more perfectly. He covers our shame. See, David is a type, a shadow, if you will, of Jesus. Probably the most prolific one in the Bible. We have lots of types and shadows of Jesus throughout the Bible, and they never equal to Jesus. But David is a type and shadow of Jesus. And just as David looked past Mephibosheth's, Mephibosheth's crippledness, his brokenness, Jesus looks past our shame, and he loves us. He desires to cover your shame with the only thing that can, his blood. Jesus covers our shame with his blood. So I've only been speaking for a few minutes, but I, I wonder... Is God tugging on your heart today? Are you crippled by your shame today? Is, is, is shame defining your life? Is, it, is that what drives your choices of being in community, of reaching out to somebody, of what you share with others, of opening up and being intimate with others? Is your shame something you're drowning in, just as I was on that bed that day when I deserved, uh, when I deserved a spanking, honestly? <laughs> But I would like to tie in another passage. If you'll turn in your Bibles or you can look on the screens in Isaiah 61. Famous passage. This is the one where Jesus stands up in Luke's account. Jesus stands up and says, I have, I have fulfilled this prophecy in your hearing. I think you know what I'm talking about. Isaiah 61, verse 1. I'm just going to jump in the middle here. Um, it says, He came to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and He has opened the prison to those who are bound. He has completed this already. He's doing this today, and He wishes to do it more still today for us. Jesus has finished it. Look at verse 4. Look at verse 4. It says, The king said to him, I told you this would be important, Where is he? And as I'm reading this, uh, this week, God reminded me of another time where somebody says, where are you? It's an, it's an earlier time of shame. Much earlier, in fact. In fact, let's go back to the beginning in Genesis chapter 3, verse 9, where we have, Dave, or, I'm sorry, we have, we have Adam in the bushes hiding because of his shame. This is the first instance of shame. And David's hiding. He doesn't know what to do with it. And the Lord calls out, he says, David, where are you? But the goodness is, in verse 21 of the same chapter, God makes the first pair of pants. Okay, maybe it wasn't pants, but he does cover Adam's shame, just as David covered Mephibosheth's shame, just as Jesus covers our shame. See, Adam's shame was self-inflicted, though. I want to speak to something else today. There is a shame that is inherited, a shame that you have nothing to do with. You're living with the consequences today, or at least the knowledge, understanding of maybe it's somebody in your family, a husband, wife, mother, father. Maybe it was something done to you that you had no control over. And you live with that shame. And that shame keeps you 
from really entering into God's presence because you feel like you deserve punishment or you're being punished, the enemy would have nothing more than you to stay right there where you are. But Jesus would cover your shame if you would only let him. Jesus would cover your shame. See, that inherited shame you could do nothing about. Like me, I'm from Texas, and therefore I'm a Cowboys fan. There's nothing I could do about that. Where are you at, Josh Cuffey? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Cameron. Uh, but seriously, are you allowing shame to define your life, dictate your life? Can you identify with Mephibosheth here? Do you see yourself as unqualified? Do you see yourself as a dead dog or inadequate? Man, that, that speaks to me. Mephibosheth says, dead dog. That's, that's how he identifies himself, because of his brokenness, because of his crippleness. There's another passage I want to look at, and you're welcome for the sword drill. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Drive something home here that's, that's vital to understand. It says, for our sake, he, he being God the Father, made him to be sin who knew no sin. Made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, Jesus, look at this, we might become the righteousness of God. Now, who does the action in that verse? God. God the Father and Jesus. That's it. We do nothing. He's done it all. He covers our shame. We walk in that truth. In verse 7 of our, of our primary text, David says he seats Mephibosheth at his table always. Always. It's not something he takes back because of some shameful act we did. In Colossians 1.12, let's turn there, Colossians 1.12. It'll be on the screens if you... Don't have Bibles. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 12, it says, Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Who qualifies us? The Father. The Father qualifies us. Guess what? The only thing that we are unqualified for is to disqualify ourselves. Let me say that again. The only thing you are unqualified for as it relates to God's work, the only thing you're unqualified for is to disqualify yourself. And the enemy would like nothing more than to keep you on that bed, keep you pent up in your shame, but Jesus has set you free. So I want to point out that Mephibosheth had nothing to do. He didn't, he didn't miraculously, when, when David said, you're going to sit at my table, he, didn't, he wasn't miraculously healed. He still had the, the broken legs, the crippled legs. There's nothing that he did to make himself better. And he didn't deserve it, but David sought him anyway. See, Jesus is welcoming, welcoming you to his table now. Shame and all. Bring it with you. He'll cover it. If you think you were too full of, it, of shame to be at his table, good. Good. That's exactly where he wants you. He wants you to come to his table as you are. He's not here for those who have it all together, for those who don't have any sin in their life, for those who aren't sick. He comes for the sick. I want to share a song, or at least a verse from a song with you. It's by a group called House Fires. 
It's, 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 uh, the name of the song is called The Way. It starts like this. It says, It's a new horizon, and I'm set on you, and I meet you here today with mercies that are new. All my fears and doubts, they can all come too, because they can't stay long when I'm here with you. We bring it with us, and Jesus takes care of it. We don't try to get rid of it first and then come. It's backwards. And so my first point, and I think I failed to mention it, is Jesus covers our shame. God is an expert at covering our shame. Our second point is Jesus invites his enemies to his table. Jesus invites his enemies to his table. See, in those times, it was common practice when a new king, a new family line took over, you would get rid of, you would take care of the, the rest of the family to ensure there was no rebellion later on, right? It's, it's, it, it makes sense. It would, and it wasn't frowned upon. It, was, it produced stability. But not David. He would not operate in fear. Not David. He would, he would ensure that he kept his promise. His promise was more important to his friend Jonathan than the fear of man and the fear of losing his kingdom. In fact, he knew it wasn't his kingdom. The Lord gave it to him. In Colossians 1.21, expounds on the idea of us being at enmity with God. It actually tells us we are hostile in mind before conversion. We are hostile in mind towards God. We are at enmity. One of the last verses I want to read today is in Romans 8. Because I, what, with, now we've spoke to shame. Now who are we? Let's, let's, let's counteract that with God's word. God's word is sharper than any two-edged sword. I need to give you a tool. When the enemy comes in, he tells you, nope, you're not good enough. Nope, you're disqualified. You need something to counteract that. You need to memorize scripture. You need to know scripture. So when that fiery dart comes in, you can hold up your shield of faith and you can say, nope, that's not me. I no longer identify with that shame. This is who I am. Pastor Jeremiah read from Psalms 8, verse 15 last week. I just want to continue on and read 16 and 17 because this is who we are. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided... We suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. That's your identity, church. That's who you are. I don't care what shameful act you've committed and repented for in the past. Maybe you're still suffering consequences for that shameful act. That's okay. That's part of life. But that doesn't identify. That's not who you are. You are a child of God, co-heirs with Christ. We need to walk in that truth. Why? Why? It brings me to my third point. This is why. Because Jesus covers our shame to be part of his ministry. See, the enemy keeps us bound up by our shame so that we won't do the work of the ministry. When I say that ministry word, I think a few of you are thinking, well, I'm, I'm not you, Josh. I'm not, a, I'm not preaching. I'm not teaching. I don't teach it to kids. Let me tell you the truth. Every single Jesus follower in here is a minister of Jesus. Every single one of you. We're all part of it. This gospel thing started with Jesus, and it hasn't ended yet. We're not done yet, church. We're to storm the gates of hell. Jesus covers our shame for a reason, and it's to be part of his ministry. Turn back to our primary text in verse 10. 2 Samuel 10, because there's an illustration here. It says, and you and your son, speaking to Ziba, I'm sorry, yeah, Ziba. David's speaking to Ziba here. He says, And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce, that your master's grandson may, be, may have bread to eat. See, David, 
not only put him at his table, but he set up a function so Mephibosheth could provide for himself. He didn't have to live off welfare. He had a farm. It's about 100 miles north of Jerusalem. David set this farm up so Mephibosheth would have some income. He would provide for himself. And later on, guess what? As David's on the run from his own son Absalom, what farm did he stop by to resupply his troops? To resupply himself? That, yes, Mephibosheth's farm. Mephibosheth, the cripple, even little Mephibosheth who can't walk, was part of David's kingdom. He played a vital role in David's survival. How good is that? I just want to be that, that little piece of God's kingdom. I want to be just, just a little piece to do something and see God move. I've got, to, I've got to bring my shame with me and allow Jesus to cover it first. I can't speak on shame without speaking to the most shameful event in history. The man, the God-man, the sinless God-man who didn't deserve any punishment, died the most horrific, shameful death any man could ever imagine. Hanging on that cross, probably all the skin ripped from his back, he took our shame on the cross. It's done. You know, most, most pictures or anytime you see the cross, the crucifixion, they have him covered. I don't think he was covered. He was there naked, just like Adam was naked in the garden. It was shameful. There was nothing to cover his shame. He took that shame on so he could cover our shame. That's good, church. We don't deserve it. So he's called us to the ministry. And as I finish up, I want to turn right back to that Isaiah passage. I want to turn back to Isaiah 61 again. I'm going to point something out. In Isaiah 61... Verse 3, it says, And provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness. Here's, here's my application here. Oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. The planting of who? The Lord for the display of his splendor. God planted Mephibosheth right where he was. Because David was going to need him later. God has planted you right where you are. Wherever you work, wherever you go to school, wherever you shop, wherever you get gas. That's your ministry. That is your ministry. He's planted you, you mighty oak of righteousness. Are you walking in that truth? What do oaks produce? Anybody? Acorns. What do acorns produce? Oaks. What do oaks produce? You get the idea. We're supposed to replicate, church. The gospel has not stopped. We can't do that unless we allow Jesus to cover our shame. And we don't allow the shame to identify. We don't identify with that shame. That's not our identity. We don't like let the shame tell us who we are. We allow Jesus to tell us who we are. And through all these topics, as we continue on these eight weeks, I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. Through all these topics, we have to remember our focus is not to just make ourselves better. This is not a self-help series, church. But we're speaking at things that we know, and it's apparent because of these cards, that some people are hurting 
Some people were bound up by shame. But our focus should be on God's presence, on his glory. We bring him glory by walking in his truth and continuing the work of a minister, continuing the work that he's called us to. See, the good news is, is that God, God has pulled you out of your shame, even though you are at enmity with him, and it doesn't stop there. He has called each person, each person in this room, he's called you to rest at his table. And in the abundance of his presence, and the over, as you allow that abundance of, of his presence overflow in every aspect of your life, at some point you'll look back and you won't even recognize that old person anymore. God will change you. That's why we walk in the Spirit and we walk in His truth. It is a joy to follow the Holy Spirit, to keep in step with Holy Spirit. I don't recognize that person from six years ago. I'm telling you. I am not the same. I have been changed, but I didn't allow the shame to tell me who I was. Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We'd love to hear how this message or the ministry of Awaken has impacted your life. Let us know at awaken.church forward slash my story.